a counselor, a coach, and a spiritual director walk into a bar. What comes next is either the greatest punchline of all time or a conversational cocktail that could change your marriage forever. Jake, Liz, and John are tackling marriage struggles from three different angles. Only you know which one will help you the most. So grab your favorite beverage, listen in, and decide who you're going to call. Hello and welcome to the podcast, or welcome back to the podcast. My name is John, and I'm joined by Liz or Elizabeth and Jake or Jacob, depending on on how we're introducing ourselves. <laughs> and uh, how are you guys this evening? And, and what are you drinking tonight? <laughs> I am great, and I am boring. I'm drinking Cabsav. <laughs> so for for the fourth chair, who doesn't know what the heck that means? Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Very fancy. Very fancy. Red wine. <laughs> not too sweet, not too dry. There you go. Somewhere in the middle. I like that. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm doing well. Um, I am really excited for this uh, episode. Um, and I'm drinking a yingling. Mm, oh, yummy. Interesting. Yeah. And I've got a homemade hot chocolate. Ooh. Nice. Adult version, though. With a little bit of rum in there. There you go. So, so how homemade? Nice. How homemade? Like package and rum, or like actual? No, you no, no. you you put together ingredients. Yeah, I put together ingredients. There's the cocoa powder with some mm-hmm. local honey and Ooh. some cream, and then the rum, and then the hot water. So honey's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, so <clears throat> a couple days ago, uh, we were all texting. And somehow, and I don't remember how, the, the subject of <laughs> movies came up. And um, I think I had put in a meme or a gif of you Braveheart. Had, and, I yeah. was, and I was warned, like, that's not Liz's favorite movie. And I was just <laughs> fascinating how that could not be anyone's favorite movie. So I asked Liz why that was not a good movie. And there was a very long, you know, response <laughs> with some great points that started a great conversation. I thought, you know what, this would be a great topic for, uh, for a podcast. So I'd love to kick off our podcast today just asking, so what makes a great guy movie and what are some things that you've seen in guy movies that perhaps you would rather not have in guy movies? Mm, so good. So let's start with Braveheart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Braveheart's been a pet peeve for years because I want to love it, honestly. Um, I love the music. I love the, you know... The Scottish vibe. I'm I'm uh, an of Irish descent, so all of that stuff has you know holds a, a warm spot in my heart. And um, of course, I liked Mel Gibson, and his movies were fun. But I was bothered by it because of the premise. Because the premise starts with this man who falls in love with this girl, and they have this sort of like clandestine romance that's perfectly moral and lovely and focused on marriage, and then. Um, obviously still some scenes in there that didn't need to happen, but like, just for the sake of, you know, but you know, but the concept of the relationship was solid and then she's murdered essentially for him. And he sort of dedicates himself to like avenging this wrong. And his wife is his inspiration right down to the fact that as he's dying, he sees a vision of her. Right. So there's Mm -hmm. this tie 
this tie of this of the importance of marriage and his dedication and devotion to his wife and it's supposed to be so beautiful but smack in the middle for no apparent reason he sleeps with the first chick that comes along and i'm like okay his integrity's gone for me like like the whole premise of his passion and why he started this journey to free scotland from england is now lost all of its glamour because in a moment where he needed to truly be a man and be strong, he failed and he gave in to his natural inclinations and temptations. And it's just sort of weird and out of left field. And it's sort of just like the point of it is to be kind of vengeful to the King at the time. But actually I looked it up and historically the, the King who was born from that connection actually isn't born for like 300 years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is like a horrible pregnancy horrible pregnancy <laughs> i thought nine months was bad but my goodness like 300 years so anyways you know it just it it lost him for me and it made me you know and i really again i really wanted to i had a duck named wally after william wallace because i really wanted to love this guy um, wow. i actually i actually taught him to kiss me that's a whole other story <laughs> I put a piece of bread in my mouth and leaned down and the duck would jump up. <laughs> and then when I was in Europe, my dad got rid of him. Um, <laughs> so your dad was the king in this, in this thing. This is going to become spiritual direction and therapy all at the same time. Right. Oh, man, right, really right. Confused. <laughs> this conversation has to end. Um, but anyways, so yeah, so that was sort of my point was that there's this, there's this space for true masculinity in this movie and it feels like it builds it up to a certain point. And then when it really needed to come through, it failed. Um, which, you know, maybe you could argue is the human story, but. So, and, and I guess I want to kind of ask you that question, Liz is, is your beef with it a critique of plot line within the movie or is this on a level of, integrity because you talk about in the context of marriage and then speaking you know as a coach isn't failure part of the course to which then you have to learn as a couple to forgive where does the forgiveness come in now obviously we're talking about a movie so (laughs) (laughs) one could argue that sure he fell to his appetites and there's no excuse for that Mm -hmm. But to write off a movie, mm-hmm. let's say that this movie doesn't do for me because of that, mm-hmm. couldn't one make the argument that maybe you got to give the guy a second chance? In real life, sure. In real life. And also his wife is dead. And his wife is dead. So he's not having (laughs) an affair. (laughs) He's just, she's dead. The marriage is over technically from, you know, our perspective here on earth. Um, it's, it's, It's more... For me, it's more that the premise of the movie is based on an integrity that then fails. And and I think what bothers me about it is that William Wallace is held up as a hero among young men. At least when I was going to college, he was like the theme of every male retreat, right? (laughs) And and so we're holding up as this pinnacle of masculinity, this man who falls vengeance to a lot of sort of vicious appetites. Um, and, Mm. and then I'm like, well, wait, this is, this is somebody we're holding up as a model and men are looking at him and what are we telling them? Like how, like, Mm. are we telling them to pick him apart and see the good and sort of set aside the evil, recognize that this isn't good? You know, James Bond 
can we look at James Bond as a hero who does these really cool things and, and blah, blah, blah? Or are we looking at him as someone who just uses and abuses women and they all get murdered? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there there's two sides to each coin. And in every time the woman loses and in a mm-hmm. world that really women really need men to step up into that space as protector, we're telling boys and young men, here are your idols. And by the way, they're really crappy to women. They're really cool at their jobs. They're horrible to women because that's how men are. Like it's Mm. giving both sides a bad message. And when you had brought that up, I thought that was fascinating because I had that hadn't even crossed my mind. Like when I hear James Bond, I go, yeah, of course he's a womanizer and not a great, not great on that level. But William Wallace, I'm thinking, wait, what did I miss during that three hour movie? It's all like freedom and rallying the troops and terrorism. And then as you were talking, I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's right. That's kind of incomplete. Right. So I'm wondering, is that, Jake, maybe in your recollection of, of that movie, did that stand out to you as a guy? Or is this like maybe more of a female male uh, viewpoint? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, for me anyways, when I watched the movie, I I appreciate movies and going to that question, like what makes a guy's movie? I don't necessarily think it's about, I think what makes a boy movie versus a man movie, I think there's some distinctions there too. Because I, w- I would say, yeah, a boy movie is for, for the appetites. Um, vengeful killing, unnecessary violence, um, yeah, nudity, um, Things that are like, yeah, that is just you're doing that out of selfishness, um, and and in the correlation to the loss of integrity. So like, if there's no integrity in the first place, it's like, yeah, it's a boy movie, and that's why it was made. Um, movies, you know, and I think we kind of threw out there like Patriot, for example. Um, I and I think I would categorize um, Braveheart in this capacity that um, the humanistic reality of man. Um, and again, this is not an excuse, but it's to understand what is at play. And so I think for me, a man movie has to kind of coincide with what is a man, you know, understanding masculinity and appealing to that, to those truths. Uh, one of my favorite books, Wild at Heart, which I've been like reading, which I've been introducing to my male clients, um, which is interesting because I actually introduced it to one of my female clients to kind of give her some insight, like, hey, this is like who you're meant to be as a woman, and this is how a guy should treat you. Uh, really fascinating. Um, but, you know, those three principles of a man is to be able to um, have an adventure to go on, um, a dragon to fight, and a beauty to rescue. Um, and so I think those are the three principles of a man movie is appealing to the heart of a man, that a man needs to go on an adventure. He's not meant to be still. Um, he's not meant to be on the couch. He needs a dragon to fight. And I'll be honest with you, um, personally, and then in my, in my career as a counselor, um, the m- many dragons that men have to fight um, is their own monsters, uh, is their own dragons. Uh, I was talking to a client the other day about this reality that, you know, it's like, I want a man who fights for me. Okay, what does that mean? You know, and there's some, let's say, discrepancy as to, well, I need him to protect me. Yeah, from himself. Um, A lot of times it is the selfishness. It is the appetites. It is 
the very thing to which as men we have to conquer to which is what caused the harm in the first place to our spouses. Um, and that's not easy. And depending on the struggle and depending on the sin, essentially, um, it can cause significant damage to the, to, the, to the relationship. Now, that doesn't mean it's impossible um, or hopeless. It's just a reality that many couples have to face and, and many, many men have to understand that they have to conquer. So this dragon a lot of times is within. Um, and then the beauty of rescue. Um, which is pretty much standard as to, yeah, you know, the princess in distress, you know, um, the towers to to climb and to rescue her, which again, yeah, as men were called to protect and serve and conquer ourselves. And so movies that kind of portray those two aspects, portray facts, that is sin, um, and portray then redemption. Because I could make the argument um, that William Wallace did redeem himself. There was redemption. Not I with think, the girl, the there wasn't. There was redemption maybe right. for his life, but not with mm-hmm. the girl that's not addressed. And I think that's the problem. Mm-hmm. I would not have a problem mm-hmm. with a movie where there's failure and then redemption that's correlated. It's sort of that let the, with the relationship. let that punishment fit the crime kind of concept, like mm-hmm. natural consequence, natural, you know, that's, that's those steps. And I think mm-hmm. because I can think, of course, I couldn't think any when I was trying to think about this in our conversation the other day, but I have seen movies where you see the man be sorrowful, sorrowful about the things that he's done wrong as far as the woman goes, where there is that reconnection, where that there's that understanding, that forgiveness, that mercy. And that's really powerful. I love movies mm-hmm. where the man almost has an intimate scene with a woman and then restrains mm-hmm. himself. There's nothing mm-hmm. more sexually just charged then a scene that stops before anything happens. Like that's way mm-hmm. more powerful. It's way more interesting. Cause it's like, Whoa, what's happening there? You know, versus like mm-hmm. the full on scene where you're like, come on, like, I don't want to watch this. I feel like I'm peeking into someone's bedroom and I wouldn't do that. This <laughs> 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 is wicked uncomfortable. I gotta go to the bathroom <laughs> Just hide for a little while. <laughs> well, and it's interesting, <clears throat> you know, as you're both talking, I'm thinking of, of, uh, the movie, uh, Braveheart particularly with the woman's uh, aspect and there is a woman to fight for, but it seems like the, the way in which that fight happens is, mm. is incomplete. It's still ba- in that base appetite mm-hmm. where you see a heroism in his fighting the dragon. Mm-hmm. You see a heroism in um, what was the other part that you, of the three, the woman, the, the dragon adventure. and the adventure. There's definitely adventure. There's so much adventure. <laughs> and like both of those are arousing in, in, in mm-hmm. a virtuous kind of way. But with the woman, there is that kind of, he doesn't rise above humanity and doesn't strive for virtue. And he doesn't rescue her ultimately. Right. Like he, yeah. he visits her in her prison cell and leaves essentially. Like she doesn't mm-hmm. get saved by him. She's still in the same horrible situation. Now she's just pregnant. <laughs> yeah. So she's objectified. So it, and she's left with the consequence of yeah. that objectification. Yes. Yes. So there's, and so while I'm getting, while I'm understanding then Liz, and I appreciate the clarification there too, is that in relationship to her, mm-hmm. He he hurt and he left. Yes, and there was no reconciliation on in that capacity. Right, because there are a lot mm-hmm. of adventure movies where there is the adventure, the dragon and the princess, and it all comes together beautifully. I think of Robin Hood. You know, like Robin Hood. Mar- Which one? <laughs> Any of them. Marion is always a vital part of the story. Mm. She's she's mm. not just part of the adventure. She's part of his whole life. She's not just a booty call. She's not just a one night stand. She is an entire 
theme running through the whole story. And the happily ever after at the end is Marion and Robin together. So you get to like see a partnership. it's a partnership. It's, it's, it's a for life. You, they're lifers. <laughs> you just, you imagine them going <laughs> off and having seven kids, you know, it's fabulous, but actually you really don't, you never get there. Cause you're just excited that they got married. But, but you know, like I think about those movies where it's, it's the happily ever after for everybody. Marion gets a happily mm-hmm. ever after too. And she gets to see mm-hmm. her hero come to life and rescue her for real and take her away from all the scary situations, you know? And I think, mm-hmm. I think as a woman watching it, you're like, yes, like, I don't want you to just tell me, well, I'm off on another adventure. I want you to say, get on the horse, <laughs> like, yeah. come with mm-hmm. me. I want to be part of it with you. And I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. not in a way that's like, you know, I have my sword drawn too, but just, I want to be part of your life. I don't want to be this little section over here that you visit occasionally when your, you know, hormones are overactive. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, (laughs) I think there's a song for that too, for that (laughs) wanting a partnership. Did you ever see, um, greatest showman? Yes. Yes. The title. Oh my best Love song ever, ever. Like I love how she says like, you know, just about the amazing view, the incredible view from up here. It's crazy mm-hmm. and we might fall, but this is amazing. Like that right there. And, and that's a great example because the hero fails the damsel in distress in a big mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. but he comes back and he repents and they yes. have this amazing yeah. reunification at the end. Like, Oh, such and a I good, the, such a good example. The song at the end of that, that kind mm-hmm. of, encapsulates all that i did yeah. this all for you but i forgot that yes. i was doing it for you and now i'm yes. coming back to you oh, and at you. the end like <laughs> yeah so did i but like just seeing that that brought me to tears almost yeah seeing that because this mm-hmm. was just that it reminder of of there is virtue that and it arises yeah. from our hearts and we're called for more than just like the booty call yeah. or just like yeah. the, the riches and cl- fame and, and that's glory a, that's a really good example too because he does get distracted by another beauty and he doesn't recognize mm. that it's happening until it almost goes too far. And then he goes, oh, mm. shoot. Like, and he yep. was mm-hmm. using her. He wasn't using her physically, but he was using her voice. He was using her mm-hmm. fame. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. she was getting abused as well. She was being led along by the man as well. Mm-hmm. But luckily he catches it and repents and goes back to his wife and repents again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and that I, that's such a good example. Yeah, that's exactly. That's, that's, yeah. that's good human, like brokenness but in a like redemptive light yeah so it's interesting because one of you know again going back to that question what makes a man's movie which is funny because one of the things in that text that we were talking about was um ever after and again the same theme you know you have the beauty um you have the man who i think part of the man's journey is the road of self-awareness um, and again, this is in particular to masculinity. So the journey for women is that awareness that who I am as the woman to be delighted in, to have worth, to be fought for. For a man, it's the self-awareness of who am I, who are my dragons, what are my dragons, and how do I conquer them? Where do I get my strength? Because, you know, we're not meant in our marriages to drive our strength from our, our, our the source of our strength is not our spouses. Um, Mm -hmm. to say that they are is to say that they are my everything and that can be dangerous Mm -hmm. because when they fail there's resentment and lack of forgiveness and so to be able to say you know what God's my strength and he alone completes me Mm -hmm. therefore I can give completely to my spouse and as a man 
that is in particular those you know masculine roles and part of that is the self-awareness to say yeah i messed up mm-hmm. and to turn into you know to to be the sinner um falling at the knees and saying i'm sorry again that that's not absolute the you know the, the wife has to you know adjust and, and and say sorry too so again this is not beat up on men kind of idea sure. but it's to understand <laughs> the roles that's just where um, we started <laughs> right but to understand the roles of of the complementarity of it mm-hmm. and i think when it comes to this theme in the context of movies i would say that like ever after as cheesy as it sounds it's a man's movie at least on my end and again you can see from a man's perspective and a woman's perspective that a man's movie calls out the humanity of a of a man that he it's actually a, an adventure of self understanding and awareness to which then when he understands self he can give self mm-hmm. you know and i think that's kind of the neat thing in these other movies like ever after patriot these other um components like robin hood is this adventure of self growth and awareness to which then he he's able to admit when he's wrong and overcome his dragons mm-hmm. and uh yeah live ever ha- you know live Happily, happily ever after. Happy ever after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's in the movie title. I, I think that's a good example too because it's really almost a coming of age movie because he moves from boyhood to masculinity. They even have that line where they say it would be 10 years before another man would enter her life, a man who was still a boy in many, many ways. And I always like that because it preps you for the fact that the relationship isn't going to be completely mature right away. Like he is going to have to grow up. She's probably going to have to grow up. And you see him especially step into his adulthood because he does pitch a little bit of a teenage hissy fit, you know, at at one point mm-hmm. where he won't communicate with her. But then, you know, he grows from that space. Mm-hmm. Can you make the argu- uh, observation for both of you that the woman's journey is the journey of I am actually a princess? Mm. Um, something that I've encountered in my sessions with couples and with individuals um a lot of college students is this idea at least with the woman is like this idea that like i'm worthless Mm -hmm. i'm dirty um i'm undesirable unlovable Mm -hmm. you know so you kind of see the complementary in these movies mature movies i guess you could argue Mm -hmm. that the man is self learning to self-awareness um becoming a man the woman is learning to become a woman in regards to I'm a princess. I'm worth being fought for. And believing that. And then and then which then the neat thing is, is the woman knows that to which then she calls the man out, which mm-hmm. JP2 kind of talks about this, that society is based upon the values and virtues of a woman to which those virtues calls a man up mm-hmm. to those virtues. Mm-hmm. I'm butchering the, the <laughs> quote, but you get the point. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. you know, so so couldn't that be an observation that for the woman it's knowing self in regards to I'm a gift I'm something to be valued yeah I can see I mean I think what I was thinking as you were talking was what I what I see in my coaching is women who think I'm too much and not enough and that those are the two themes that Mm -hmm. come up all the time they're too much in certain areas they're not enough in other areas but either way they're not where they're supposed to be so Mm -hmm. I think maybe it's it's not so much the word princess comes to mind as just worthy that I'm that I'm worthy of love that I'm worthy to be seen to be fought for but to fight for myself as well honestly like because I think I think the problem is that like 
I love Disney movies. I love princess stories. I I mean, Beauty and the Beast is my favorite. <laughs> if I had my copy, it's been around since I was 18 and it is like destroyed. I like, I love princess movies. But with that being said, what, what my generation was raised with was that the prince will rescue you. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and at some point, if there's no prince, you start to think maybe I'm not worthy of being rescued. Mm, it, maybe that lie creeps in. I, I'm not good enough to be rescued, but also I've never been taught how to, how to take care of myself either. Like, I don't know how to rescue me and I'm not even sure I'm supposed to. So I don't want to become this grasping dominant woman, but I also don't want to be like this wilting flower, you know, waiting for someone to come save me. And so we were never taught that middle road of like Mm -hmm. accepting that I am worthy of being served and loved and helped, but also accepting that I have to take responsibility for what's in my Mm -hmm. locus of control, which is my life, my decisions, my choices as, you know, mm-hmm. as I move forward, like I don't have to wait for somebody else to tell me yeah. what what to do yeah. and how to live, you know? Yeah. So kind of taking the the original question about man, man or boy movies, are there good girl Oof. slash woman movies that kind of encapsulate this? Because no. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's coming to my mind is kind of like the dainty princess that can't do anything or like the... The woman warlord that like the men are right, just right, right. the princesses the pirate in king. the stereotypical. Yeah. <laughs> when Karen right. Knightley became the pirate king in like the third Pirates movie, I was like, what? So stupid. <laughs> I was so mad about that. You know, it's funny you asked that. Um, I would say for from my perspective, the movies that have done this best are actually like Hide and Prejudice. Like she's not. Which one? The the TV no, show? No, don't the, you even mention Keira Knightley in my presence? Don't you dare! <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't exist. It's dead. And to I me. love. And I love. <laughs> and I love you. She's mm-hmm. abused my name twice in movies. She's been Elizabeth twice, and she just she's got to go away. Um, but uh, Elizabeth Bennett in the 1995 or 96 mm. version of Pride and Prejudice, BBC, but just the book in general. I she she's just she's. She's not either or, you know, she's not a warlord, but she's not a wilting flower either. She's just living her life, just living her life Mm -hmm. and making the decisions that make sense for her. And I think she proves that when she turns down Darcy the first time, because she's like, I'm not going to marry you just because you asked and you're rich. I'm going to marry somebody that I love. I know my own mind. I know who I would respect and you're not it. And by the way, you're a jerk to my family, you know? So, so I think, you know, it's hard because in, in a lot of chick flicks, you either get girl power or you get mm-hmm. like, come save me. And it's, and both of them are annoying. And again, that girl power theme of like, I don't need a man is almost worse because it is worse because it just, this is controversial, but I'm going to say it anyway. You notice there are no men marches because men don't mm-hmm. feel like they have to prove anything. Men yeah. are just like, they just accept that they're men. They're just like, eh, this is how we are. But but women are so afraid of being left behind that we fight and fight and fight to prove ourselves. Captain Marvel, that's a good girl movie. Captain Marvel is just fun and snarky. And, you know, she has her cute leather jacket and, you know, she drinks beer. But she's not like this empowered behemoth of a woman. She's just like, mm-hmm. she's just living her life. She's kind of, She does karaoke and she's just fun and she likes to fly planes, but she's not trying to prove anything. And I think Marvel actually did a really good job with this. I don't normally feel like their women are trying to prove something. I feel like their mm-hmm. women are showing up and being themselves. Scar, um, 
Scarlett Johansson. Oh uh, my gosh, Black, Black Widow. Widow. Black Widow's trying to be a sexy badass for the first couple of movies, and then she sort of it peters off, and she sort of gets normal. Mm. And I like her so much better when she just becomes mm. like a woman who's just mm-hmm. you know doing her own like thing in this group of men, and she starts to feel like a girl hanging out with the boys. She doesn't feel like this like sexy badass like goddess mm-hmm. anymore, and. So I, I remember thinking that when I was watching Marvel movies, like, wow, these women don't annoy me. And normally women in boy mm. movies annoy me because they're either booty calls or they're trying to run with the boys. And either way, yeah. it's super annoying. But it's Marvel- almost like they're trying to live what they're not made for. They're, right. Like what I'm hearing you say is there's a confidence in their own self. Right. As women, they're not trying to strive for something that they're they're not naturally. Right. Mm, that probably deserves a little bit more explanation, but we're not going to do that right now. <laughs> um, but, but there is this confidence <laughs> yeah. and that confidence for um that confidence engenders a partnership and calls the man yeah. forward in his own masculinity yes um, and that partnership can happen together yeah they bring their feminine genius like they're mm-hmm. not trying no one's trying these women aren't trying to captain marvel's not trying to be captain america she's trying to be captain marvel and she's doing a great mm-hmm. job. She doesn't need to be Captain America. Most of the time, it feels like the girl is either 100% sure that she can't do anything without the hero or she's trying to be the hero. And it's like, please be the heroine, because when a woman steps into her particular power that she has, she's so much more powerful than when she tries to pretend to be the hero. Like, it just doesn't mm-hmm. work. You know, mm-hmm. I, I. it's just, yeah. There's um there's particular themes, or at least patterns I'm noticing um, in these conversations right now is that both the man and the and the wife, right? Both the man and the woman has to have their own journey of self becoming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you guys both mentioned this idea of like self-confidence and who they are. And really that's kind of the crux of it all mm-hmm. is asking that question, who am I? I just had a session a while back with a client who, and you know, this is kind of sidetracked, but like, what prevents us becoming? And I think shame is a big component, especially sexual shame, will prevent, specifically women, at least what I've noticed um, and in marriages and wives, it's like the shame of things past. Um, men carry that, but they carry it in different ways. Um, so um, going back to that original thought, um, the becoming is in hierarchical order, that when I allow myself to be... S- to be known. And if you kind of correlate that to your relationship with God, who am I and who is God? Who am I with who am I? To which then understanding self, I can then give self. Because you can't give what you don't have. And if you don't right. have a good sense of self mm-hmm. as a man or as a woman, um, you can't give. You can't love to the complete mm-hmm. that you can. Right. Um, yep. and, and it's interesting too because to be honest with you, Liz, I, I, would, I would, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, John, but Men do still have to prove themselves. Um, we again express in different ways, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so I. So it's interesting. It's like wait, there is no men in marches. You're right, <laughs> um, but boy, oh boy, do they still do they suffer alone? Mm-hmm. I think it's more oh, isolated. Yeah. I'll make that. Mm-hmm. I'll make that argument. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have to prove themselves mm-hmm. because it's that constant question: Am I strong enough? Mm-hmm. Am I capable? You know, I think the one of the components of the the longness of a man is to know that he's capable yeah. of defeating the dragon, mm-hmm. of rescuing the woman, of being worthy of rescuing the woman. Yeah. You know, so I think in those different components, you know, really understanding who am I, um, which is interesting because I want to throw it to you two as to 
how do you work with your clients and your directories <laughs> in this concept of who am I? Mm. So for for spiritual direction, that's kind of the the question that we start off with, or one of the questions we start off with, who is God to you? Or tell me a little bit about your prayer life. And from that description, we can get an understanding of what they think God is like. Is God Mm. an overbearing warlord? Is God vindictive? Is God a loving father? Is God just absent? Is God just uh, fill in the blank number of false images of God? And usually it's connected with their, their interaction relationship with their parents or other caregivers. Um, and so as they're describing, well, you know, I, I pray because, you know, I really want to win the lottery. That's, it's, you know, 1.72 billion and mm. I really hope he gets it. So God is a slot machine. Um, <laughs> so that is a false image of God. Let's develop that a little further. Where did that come from? And that's, you know, that's a very short way of getting to that, but like just listening to them in that understanding and then giving scripture passages to maybe um, flesh that out a little bit more mm. in, in the light of God as they're praying with him. Uh, and then through the spiritual direction session, you know, just sorting that out verbally. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What um what spiritual passages would you recommend? <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of them, so it really depends on uh, it depends on what is said. So the mm. um, for for my training, there are eight uh, themes of of grace, eight themes of the spiritual life. So depending on how you see God. There's a lovely little box mm. that will help me see, okay, if your false image of God is that he is absent, here are some scripture passages that proclaim he is fully present. Cool. Or if he is vindictive, here is the loving oh, God. Wow. Or you really hate yourself, which also pairs up with an image of God. Here are some counters from God's word itself. Wow. Um, so wow. Uh, so that's how how spiritual direction uh, through what I've I've done handles that. You know, wow. it's funny you say that because I'm I'm remembering I had forgotten about this, but one of my first times of going to spiritual direction, I uh, I was in a phase where I was trying to discern the next step in whatever my vocation was, and I was going through a mini crisis because one of my best friends, who we had just we'd been planning on moving in together, and we'd been buying stuff for our apartment. And suddenly she called me and she said, I have something to tell you. And as soon as she said it, I knew she was going to tell me she was entering a, a convent and she did. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. It was like this gut understanding that I knew. And she had never talked about it. We had not discussed this as a potential for her. But as soon as she said it, I was like, she's going to tell me she's entering the, the monastery. And she did. And I was devastated, but my, I'm very dramatic. And my brain was like, maybe I'm supposed to be a nun. Like, like I, maybe I'm missing my vocation. Wow. Like we've been discerning this path together. And then suddenly she veers off. Like maybe I'm not paying attention. So I panicked. Yeah. So this, my, this is my very first time in spiritual direction. And I'm telling my spiritual director who I've now had for like 10 years, I'm telling my spiritual director first time. Um, so I like prayed a lot of novenas and I got the, this rose and this rose and this rose. And he was like, Elizabeth. He's not the magic eight ball Jesus. <laughs> mm, I was uh-huh. like, oh, like I thought novenas were a good thing and looking for signs was a good thing. And then he kind of rephrased it and was like, look, like that's not how God works. You don't shake him for an answer occasionally. Like mm-hmm. it's a relationship, yeah. you know, and right. it was really, and he told me a story about a girl he knew who had prayed this um, novena for a certain amount of roses. They were white. If she was supposed to be in a convent and the, it all lined up and she got it. And he said, and this weekend 
I'm going to be preaching the homily at her wedding to a guy who is perfect for her. He's <laughs> 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 like, calm down with the like, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. looking for signs thing. And so anyways, it's mm-hmm. just interesting. And, it, and, so and we can be you, so, so we can so be so blind to that too yeah. until we hear until someone else points out, oh, yeah. you are you are living out of this relationship in this way. Yeah. That's not yeah. quite correct. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. even with the signs thing, what I've learned for me is that if I pray for something specific or I want to see something specific and God lets me see it, a lot of the time it's just him saying I'm listening. Mm-hmm. Like I love mm-hmm. you and I hear you and I'm I'm with you. Mm-hmm. And, and it's become just a comforting thing to get those moments. We were looking at a house this past weekend that we really want that is way out of our price range and it's completely gutted on the inside. It's on 23 acres. And when we, when we looked through the pictures the first time, we didn't notice anything. And the second time we thought we noticed something on the wall again, gutted. There's nothing in this house. There's not even appliances. There's pipes sticking out of things. There's no, like, it's horrible shape. It's very, it's very old. But on the wall, there was this image and we were like, is that what we think it is? And we're zooming in and it's kind of fuzzy, but we think it is. And we finally got to go see the house. And the only thing left in that house is uh, a joint image of the Sacred Heart and the Immaculate Heart. Oh, wow. And and we were like, (laughs) it may still not be our house, but that is God Mm -hmm. telling us I am here and I know what you want and I'm working on it. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, it's interesting because I think with my work with married couples then with individuals again it's very correlated um this concept of who i am and i work with a lot of trauma and so there's a lot of evidence Mm -hmm. that really supports the opposite Mm -hmm. of those truths Mm -hmm. which is (laughs) i tell my clients get ready um because i'm i'm once someone who's like we don't we gotta go into the mess. And part of that process is we have to go and change that truth. And part of that is to process the trauma mm-hmm. and to change it. Um, and that's been, again, very miraculous and very healing, but very tra- a, a incredible witness to see, you know, um, one of the exercises that I find to be very um, unique mm-hmm. with my clients. And depending on who they are and my intake with them, um, I was like, okay, for your homework, um, draw an image, or describe an image of how you see yourself right now. Mm. And we're going to use that then when we do the work, the hard, messy work. Um, you're going to have you draw an image again and to see how that image changed. Mm-hmm. And it's really phenomenal because I have had clients who done that and they're like, oh my gosh, I see myself in a completely different way. You know, and obviously that's correlated to mental health. Um, and so it's interesting because, again, I think we mentioned this in the first episode where, you know, as a counselor for me, it's your relationship with yourself in particular. Now, mm-hmm. I have involved God in it. I have done scripture passages and, and, and you know, mm-hmm. working with scripture to, to help clients see who they are in the eyes of God. Mm-hmm. But that off, offsets then to ask the question, who am I with myself when there's evidence mm-hmm. that suggests otherwise? Mm-hmm. Um, and to see that change and, and healing happen is it really incredible. Um, and, and, and then, too, so this is interesting because then in marriages, you know, if there's a hierarchy of healing, let's say, that my healing with my relation with God and then with myself, I can then allow to receive healing from my spouse, mm. um, to which then I can actually receive 
you know, because receiving is a act of love. And so when I can receive, I can then give back love to my spouse because I know that I'm good. Mm-hmm. But my spouse didn't give me that identity. It was God. Mm-hmm. And it was in the integration of myself to which then I can be reinforced. I, I tell my clients, and again, maybe this is a one way of thinking about it, but your spouse does not give you your identity. It reinforces your identity. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I think there's a component there that needs to be, you know, seen is that the work that, you know, as a spiritual director, as a counselor, like, and as a coach, what we do is really getting at this heart, this question mm-hmm. of who we are. And I'm curious, Liz, like for you, how do you work with your clients on this particular theme? Oh, so fun. Uh, so I do I do a lot with the temperaments. I'm actually, um, I'm, la- I'm in the middle of launching my next group coaching program for my Finding David group coaching program, which is basically rediscovering your husband. But in the process, we rediscover ourselves because you end up unearthing a lot of beliefs and judgments and expectations mm-hmm. that you have for your marriage that you just didn't know you had or that were completely unspoken. You know, I was joking with a fellow coach this morning that um, we both have a judgment that our husband should be the fun one because growing up, dad was the fun one and mom meant business. <laughs> so she she told me that recently her husband is very sanguine and he's very extroverted and she's choleric and she's got like a plan for everything. So the kids were bored. So she said, it's going to be fine because daddy's going to take you on a bike ride. But she hadn't told her husband that because she just mm. assumed, well, you're sanguine and you're fun and this is what you do. So I'll, I'll, I told the kids, so you're going to go do that. And he was like, I'm tired. <laughs> she was like, no, no, no you're going to be fine. You're going to go do this fun thing with the kids. And he's like, but I'm tired. And she's like, oh, like this was an unspoken expectation she had of how he was going to show up in the moment. And that's not where he was. So she like apologized and went and let the kids down gently. Cause she's like, for sure. I'm not taking them for a bike ride. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just, it's funny. Cause we do this all the time, you know, like we unearth these beliefs that we have. Cause it, it's so funny because it starts out with like, Oh, my husband does this. And it's so annoying. But as you start to pick apart what you believe about your husband, you start to realize that you're showing up from a place where you have beliefs about yourself that are crummy. Like mm-hmm. you have beliefs about your own strengths that are crummy. Like, oh, I can't, I can't handle this marriage. I married the wrong guy. I'm not right for him. You know, like, you know, I, I challenged one woman to, to think of herself, like, like, how are you the ideal wife for your husband? And she was like laughing. Cause she's like, I'm not, And I'm like, but mm. let's play with that. Let's play with that idea. Mm. Like if, if you are living fully in your strengths and you are in a sacramental relationship, like, you are the ideal wife because you made vows and that's who you are now. Mm-hmm. I can't remember it. Maybe it was Jason Everett, but somebody has a, a talk or something on like how to date your soulmate. And I think he makes the argument, forgive me if I'm misquoting Jason Everett, but it was somebody, one of the famous chastity speakers, somebody was making the argument that, um, when you say vows, that person is now your soulmate because your souls are mated mm-hmm. for life, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so whoever you married in the faith is your soulmate. So Mm -hmm. how do you show up as the soulmate of this person? And it's not Mm -hmm. to create yourself into somebody completely different. It's to dive into who you are and uncover Mm -hmm. that and look into that. And one of the things that we do in coaching, when we bring God into it is we have this question that I love, which is when somebody speaks a lie that they believe about themselves, you ask them, whose, whose voice is that in? Mm -hmm. Who do you hear saying that? And, Mm -hmm. or even just simply, would God say that to you? 
Is that what God thinks of you? Because as soon as you say that, people are like, well, no. And then you can start yeah. to be like, okay, well, who else talks? The enemy, the world, mm-hmm. the flesh. There's, there's all kinds of liars speaking to you about who you are. And the only person who really knows you and fully loves you is the Lord. And you have to go to him to find out who you are. And if he created you in a specific temperament with a specific personality, specific quality, specific strengths, those are goods. You just need to learn to, you know, uh, my coaches talk about name, claim, aim, and tame, you know, just like really take control, take, take ownership of those Mm -hmm. gifts and go live them out fully. Yeah. So something that's ringing in my ear right now is like, we started off this, this episode talking about movies and images and whatever. (laughs) And here we are talking about the same thing, but on a deeper level. Yeah. Yeah. We receive these images from movies, from our parents that then form our self-identity our understanding of who we are sure. for good or bad mm-hmm. we enter into a marriage with with these things which might be lies which might be things we need to work with mm-hmm. in therapy or coaching or spiritual direction mm-hmm. um, but ultimately we want to have this confidence in who we are as god has created us mm-hmm. to be yeah. so that we can then fully give ourselves to our spouses our soulmates for life right. and when we see that in in movies mm-hmm. that does that really well there's something that clicks alive in us. Yeah. yeah. Or that goes, wow, well, that's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. I, and and I think that's kind of the question too, is like what makes a good marriage movie? Mm. Um, because it kind of brings those two things together, you know? And it's interesting because I think, again, I love movies. I'd rather watch the movie than read the book. Um, <laughs> where what makes a good movie, a movie is how we can relate. And it, which is interesting because like, like ask the question like, what does that mean? Well, it means in part that it touches the longingness of our heart as a man and as a woman, and then the correlationship to a marriage where, and I think that's kind of the interesting part because I think a good movie that really represents these virtues is one that is worked at rather than completed. Um, because I think we can all agree that it is messy. And so without the mess, and without the failure and without the forgiveness and redemption, you can't have a happy ever after. Mm. Uh, which is interesting because one of the kind of quotes that like got me at the end of ever after was the narrator essentially saying it wasn't that they lived happily ever after. It was the fact that they lived. Yeah, mm. I love that line. And I think that's that is really meaningful because... You do not want a happy ever after marriage because it's not possible. You get that in your head that this is the perfect person in the world who's perfect for me. No. (laughs) You are two broken people redeemed by Christ, redeemed by his grace, called for holiness, called to foster life and bring you and your spouse and your family to heaven. To that end, it's going to be messy. There's going to be failure and there's going to be redemption. Okay, and so being able to resonate that and live that out, you're gonna have such a meaningful fullness of life Mm -hmm. that if you strive for happiness, which again, you can talk philosophy all day as to what that means, but part of it, we think that happiness is is the attainment of ease without any of the flaws, failure, pain, suffering, shame. But in reality, it's how can I take what is here what is in my spouse? How can we transform ourselves as an individual 
which then leads in transformation of our of our marriage and our family and then our society and then nation and the world. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. there there you go. You know, when it comes to that ma- micro to macro level of conversion. You know, as you're talking, I was thinking about um, Dr. Popcheck, uh, Popcheck, sorry, I keep saying his name wrong. In his book, The Exceptional 7%, he he breaks down the different categories for marriages and the exceptional marriage obviously is like it's like a 7% kind of thing and then there's all these other marriages but right in the middle is the storybook marriage and i was surprised because you hear storybook marriage and that sounds delightful but he was explaining that the storybook marriage tends to be the husband works, the wife stays at home and they kind of stay in their gender roles. Mm -hmm. And, and it's very like, this is how it's supposed to be like kind of, it's a little, um, it's just, it's very standard. Like it's a good marriage. Mm -hmm. It's good. They're, they're not, they're probably not going to get a divorce. They're probably going to stay together forever, but, but it's not great. It's not stellar. Mm -hmm. The exceptional marriage is the marriage that gives of itself as much as a human being can a marriage where when you ask the question, who does X, Y, Z chore, their response is whoever bumps into it first. Mm-hmm. And it's such a unique concept because I think we're raised with, you know, in, in the Christian Catholic world, we're raised in storybook marriage land where dad mm-hmm. works, mom stays at home. Mm-hmm. We, we play, you know, dad does the lawn care, mom takes care of the house and kids, you know, like you kind of have these very specific and, um, the concept of having a marriage where you just flow together and move with each other. And your question is always, what does the other person need? How can I love them best Mm -hmm. in this moment? It's pure service. You know, it's pure service and love and self-sacrifice all the time. But because of that, everything in your life is better than the storybook marriage. So your intimate life Mm -hmm. is going to be better and your communication is going to be better. Like everything is just going to be better because you're living in this extreme self gift where you're literally taking care of each other's needs because you're always thinking about each other's needs. So I don't have to worry about protecting myself and making sure I get what I need because you're worried about protecting me and getting me what I need. And I'm focused on you. So we're each receiving completely and feel such trust and such love. Right. And it's like the beauty of the two becoming one. sounds like the storybook is that too. Yes. I do this and you do that. And we have division of labor, but marriage in the Christian concept is this two becoming one as Christ and his church are one. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. uh, like just what's coming to mind is that Jesus saying, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. Yes. Yes. And that fullness of life Mm -hmm. for those exceptional, you know, parents, uh, families, they're a total gift of self. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it, not, you have this and I have this. Right. It's I am giving and doesn't matter. It may suck a little bit more for me, but I'm still going to give. Right. So, right. so here's the, here's the question then, right? Because one of the things I, I focus on in my sessions with my clients is language. Hmm. Um, because if you can't distinguish what you mean by your language, um, you may have a misconception on reality. Mm-hmm. So, Liz, when you mention, and again, this is coming from Dr. Popchak, uh, like, okay, exceptional marriage. Mm-hmm. There are those who are listening who are like, yeah, mm-hmm. what the hell does that mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And because because that word mm-hmm. is a very absolute language mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where you have the exceptional and the non-exceptional. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because, you know, I'm five years, John, you're 15, Liz, you're 10 mm-hmm. that 
to say that I have an exceptional marriage now. Mm-hmm. It's like at five years, I have a great marriage, mm-hmm. you know, and it's meaningful, mm-hmm. you know, but to have this concept that I need to hit this ideal, mm-hmm. it may be despairing to say I'm we're having these struggles mm-hmm. and what and to rate ourselves on these levels and say, oh my gosh, I guess we're not having an exceptional marriage and we're not gonna to, not for a long time. Mm-hmm. So well, what's the point of trying? Mm-hmm. Where's the hope? So I'm going to invite you guys to kind of share, like understanding that we need to obtain holiness, right? Mm-hmm. That That is the goal, mm-hmm. that we need to give effort. How do we have hope in the journey? Mm-hmm. Go ahead, John. <laughs> we both took a breath at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I've got thoughts. Get ready. Get ready and go. Albert's going to love editing this. Uh, <laughs> so much Albert. breathing. Um, <laughs> So what came to mind is in the Ignatian exercises, Mm. there's this concept of this ongoing creation. We're not done. God is constantly Mm -hmm. creating us. And so if we, on whatever it is, marriage, masculinity, femininity, if we just say, "Ah, I have arrived, Mm. we've lied to ourselves and we're no longer, we're no longer pursuing. If we go, I am as good. I have, I have uh, cooperated with God's grace as much as I possibly could today, Mm -hmm. but there's Mm. more tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the examine comes in. Here's the places where I really cooperated with his wow. grace. Mm-hmm. Here's where I failed and God, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow help me do better mm-hmm. to cooperate with your grace so that you can continually transform me mm-hmm. into the excellence that you have created me to be the saint you've created me to be. Mm-hmm. I just want to pause right there and just let our listeners know that those last couple of sentences is a prayer. Honestly, if you want to take practical like tips away from this, pray those sentences that john just shared mm, mm. and if you don't remember them rewind because i don't remember them at this precise moment right now either. <laughs> holy spirit's working through john he doesn't know what he's saying <laughs> but no that's so good fire. i think one of the things that i liked and if i'm remembering correctly this is this is from dr popchuk as well where he says that um the exceptional couple even looks forward to their debates because they know they're mm. about to reach a new level of understanding and, and I think that's something else too, is if you can look at your growth as, because I can say, I'll be honest, when I got into coaching, my goal was to eliminate a lot of the early year problems of mm. marriage. I wanted to mm. fix it before they got there. I wanted to get to the newlyweds and be like, guys, here's what's coming. We're going to take care of it before you even get there. And then you never have to deal mm-hmm. with it. But when I look back at my 10 years of marriage, I needed those. Because mm-hmm. we grew and we learned about each other and we communicate better now and we can be more honest now and we can be more just like open with each other and vulnerable. You know, I, I heard a quote, I know everybody hates the submission line in the Bible, but <laughs> I heard a quote from Fulton Sheen. The, I heard a quote from Fulton Sheen the other day where he was focusing on the, as Christ loves the church, the call for the husband. And he was talking about in this context, all you're asking the woman to do is receive love. That's all it is. Because if the man is showing up as he's supposed to, all the woman has to do is receive his just intense love and devotion and care. And so it's not scary anymore because you would be totally trusting of somebody who loved you completely. You would want to be vulnerable with that person. So I think looking back at my 10 years of marriage, what I noticed is that I couldn't, I don't think I could have reached the level of vulnerability and trust I have with Albert if we had not had some miscommunications and some, you know, struggles with, you know, whatever it was that we were going through, like 
we grew from those. So you can look back. It's sort of a C.S. Lewis, I think, in is it the Great Divorce? There's, I think, there's a there's part in C.S. Lewis where he says that someday, if you go to heaven, you'll look back and realize you were always in heaven. And I love that concept. You know, he says the same thing about hell. You'll look back and you'll see you're always in hell. And so like to look mm. back basically on your whole life and see, I was always moving towards the Lord. I was, uh, everything brought me closer to him. He was always there. And it mm-hmm. just, it, it, that's, I think where the hope is, is that like, you don't understand the struggle now. You don't know why you're in this marriage now, why it's so frustrating, why it's so devastatingly hard, why you feel so alone. But if mm-hmm. you just stay and focus and, and, and make that resolution every morning, I'm going to try again Mm. with God's grace. And every night to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I I didn't show up as well as I wanted to. I'm going to try again tomorrow. Like you keep making those steps and somebody you look back and you realize how high up the hill you've gotten, you know, Mm -hmm. and every step may suck, but suddenly you'll be up higher and it'll keep going. Mm -hmm. You just have to kind of keep that momentum, that trajectory. Mm You know, I, um, I'm, looking at the three of us now and I'm wondering if this is you know Liz you, you mentioned this as your experience like why we got into this in the first place and I think maybe the tendency at first was to come in and fix yes be the savior I, I got the answers I, yep. I'm gonna help you you're gonna you come to me you're gonna be fine in <laughs> yeah. two weeks Golden. great <laughs> you chose yep. the right um, girl and, for the and, job and, <laughs> I, yeah and then you can pat my and then I can pat myself yeah. on the chest and say yeah I, that's why I did that yeah. I, yeah. I changed you and I think in our personal lives at least what I'm noticing with the three of us anyways in our conversations in our journey in our marriage and then in our professions that the reality of life is to not seek perfection in the context of I need to be perfect now but to have the hope to transform the suffering and the flaws and the shame into something that's meaningful, mm-hmm. into something that's grace-filled, that continue us forward to then one day we can go and say, here I am, Lord, I've come to do your will. Um, can I come in, please? <laughs> um, and it's kind of neat because I can at least see how our professions have been oriented towards this reality of I'm here to help you transform this suffering transform your journey Mm -hmm. your adventure to help you become the best that you can be Mm -hmm. here and now Mm -hmm. so you can obtain that better version of yourself then to which then will transform your marriage and your family life um and so it's just kind of see the development in our personal lives and our professions how we're not your saviors right we you know as a counselor as a spiritual director and as a coach we will never be the ones to save you Mm -hmm. that's only that's god's realm it's above our pay grade. <laughs> but we will be your we will be your companions along your journey, mm-hmm. helping you to rediscover self, and then giving you the tools, and then praying for the graces to then give of self. You know, and I think, you know, one of the things that I've been kind of going through in my head when I'm, you know, about to teach a course next spring about theology of healing. That like, what is healing? And I think part of specifically marriages is. I think you gotta have a little bit of some ingredients, but like grace, forgiveness, mercy, but also the willingness to try, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and to accept oneself who they are now and striving to be the better of a version of yourself then mm-hmm. to transform a meaningful marriage. Yeah. Maybe not. And again, happy, if happiness is avoidance of pain, you got it all wrong, mm-hmm. you know, but to say, yeah, let's take what is broken uh, and what is flawed. 
and allow God to transform it. And we just be participators of that transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have such an amazing marriage at one year, two years, three years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years of marriage. Mm-hmm. Each step, to, step of the way, it's going to be so meaningful. Yeah. 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 What well, comes to mind, and maybe this can be something to, to end on since we're kind of on, on that uh, <laughs> time frame. Um, it's just, I think it was John Paul II said life with Jesus is an epic adventure or something like that. Oh, I love that. I love that. And so as, as we're kind of talking about this, we're not done yet in our marriages. We still have healing to do. We still have coaching to do. We still have direction and growing closer to one another as mm-hmm. spouses, as human beings, that this isn't just a journey. This isn't just a, a drudgery. Mm-hmm. If God mm-hmm. is with us in this, it is an adventure. Mm-hmm. And are mm-hmm. we ready to be adventure. on that? The great yeah. adventure. Yeah. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. epic. And and you made me think of, um, as you both were talking, you made me think of JP2 in Love and Responsibility. He has this quote, uh, love should be seen as something which in a sense never is, but is always only becoming. Mm. And what it becomes depends upon the contribution of both persons and the depth of their commitment. Mm-hmm. Which comes from knowing who am I mm-hmm. to then be able to contribute yeah. to my marriage. Yeah. And then... And going back to like summary of that question, like what makes it what makes a good movie for both men and women for a marriage movie, you know, <laughs> is <laughs> do 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 they live a great adventure? Which yeah. is interesting yeah. because you talk about greatest showman, yeah, mm-hmm. both of them. She's feeling, I'm joining. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good capitalization of the great adventure in a marriage. All an adventure that Absolutely. comes with a breathtaking view. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> This has yep. been this has been an awesome conversation <laughs> yes, that we've had so today. <laughs> Who knew we would go from movies to like the depths of self-identity and gift of self and marriage? This is how we talk. <laughs> we can't have normal conversations like normal humans. Yeah. <laughs> well, for all of our, our listeners, thank you so much for joining in this conversation. Hopefully you've gotten something out of it. Check out the show notes for any of the resources that we've identified. Check out some of those movies and keep an eye out for what what are some of those things that either encourage this uh, this great adventure with God or that maybe detract from, uh, yeah. from your view of that. Awesome. And hopefully you'll join us on the next one. Subscribe, follow, like, subscribe, hit the smash button, all of the things. <laughs> and, we, <laughs> and we will see you or hear you next time. <laughs> <laughs>